I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. If you are an experienced consultant who wants to reach a larger audience or a leader within a company who's being told by his or her marketing department to be more community focused, this episode is for you. Even as digital media is exploding, books are no longer just a good idea, they are a requirement for thought leaders. However, you may not have the time, nor the expertise, nor the support to write a book, let alone publish it. And as my next guest says on the business of intuition, the publishing industry actually makes it extremely difficult for the first time author to break into the industry. An award-winning author, nationally recognized speaker and savvy publishing strategist, Jen Grace is the founder of Publish Your Purpose, the acclaimed hybrid publishing company that gives first time authors the secrets to getting their books written, finding an eager audience, and marking their place in the publishing world. Publisher Purpose is a certified B Corp social enterprise that meets the global standards of socially and environmentally friendly business practices. Jen leads ambitious authors through every aspect of writing, editing, and publishing, so their books strategically align with their business objectives. Whether it's a business guide that shows the breadth of their expertise or the emotional memoir that takes readers deep into life's challenges, she helps authors articulate their purpose and fulfill their mission. Jen has published the books of nearly 100 business owners, entrepreneurs, speakers, and memorists, so more diverse stories can exist in the world and her authors can make a positive impact and achieve the recognition and success they deserve. She is the author of six books, including her memoir, House on Fire. Jen has been featured in Forbes, The Huntington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and CNBC. Jen Grace on the Business of Intuition. All right, so Jen, thanks so much for being a guest on the Business of Intuition. I was telling you in our little conversation prior to hitting the record button that I wanted to use this time as actually like a coaching session because I'm very interested in publishing, but I'm not doing it about it. So I want to ask you for myself, you know, because I'm curious, but I'm also figuring that the questions I'm going to ask you are probably going to be similar to what other people might be asking when it comes to, you know, should I write a book and why and how do I do it? And, you know, it seems so scary. So yeah. let me just start off. Why should I write a book? Why should anybody write a book right now? We've got so much out there with social media. We've got so much going toward digitization. What's the reason in this day and age that somebody should write a book? So the short answer to that is if you are a thought leader or you're in any place of influence, I feel like a book is becoming a necessity. I think once upon a time, mm. maybe even a decade ago, we were at a place where, you know, all right, I'm I'm ahead of the pack. I'm writing this book. Not a lot of people around me have written this book. And so I'm different and I'm unique. Um, my business is different. My business is unique. 
But at this point, people are producing books at rapid rates, not always with the best quality, which is a side note we can go down a a little bit later. But at this point, there's almost an expectation or a mandate. And so what I've seen play out over and over again is if you have a consulting company, I have a consulting company, we do the exact same thing. And we're going in with the same services, the same offerings, similar price points. Having that book can sometimes be the thing that adds that credibility over the other person that you're competing against because you went through the time and effort to create the book. Now, what is kind of unfortunate for authors is that you might have 25 years of experience in the business, not a book. And I have two and I have a book. And I might get the business over you because I'm the one who has that thought leadership in such a big way, which may be unfair. And that client may not get you know, the same the same result they would as if they were for you. But if you don't have the book, you're not competing evenly. That's pretty compelling there, Jen. You caught my attention. I mean, I wrote down here as you were talking, a book is now becoming a necessity. And that's pretty compelling because I think you're right. There is so many books out there these days. And I, I know that I was just looking at a consultant who does different kind of work. And I was asking him, so what are your fees? And he gave me his fees and I was about ready to, you know, my jaw dropped. It's like, holy, are you kidding me? You're getting that? I was thinking, I was trying to justify how is he able to get those kinds of fees? Well, I looked in his bio and so forth. And one of the things that he has is a book. I thought, well, maybe that's part of it. That part of what makes you able to increase your rates is the fact that you have this credibility around regarding this book. All right, so that's 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 really good. Here's another question I got for you. There is in my world, I have 29 years of of work in my head. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in our 30th year next year, and I've been thinking about wanting to write a book for probably five years. Haven't done really much of it, and I'm I'm it's it's I'm going to have to really do some thinking about why would I want to write a book. I think a calling card is important. I think what you just said is really important. It's not becoming a necessity, especially if you're a thought leader. And I would think that that's even true of people who are not necessarily consultants, but are considered thought leaders in their industry. And they need to get out from their, you know, their doors and they need to become more publicly focused. Mm-hmm. I could see that. So here's a quote that I got from somebody and I wanted to hear how you feel about it. There's so many books on so many topics right now, especially in the, in like leadership, if you wanted to call that a teamwork and these things. And somebody told me once that, a large publishing house once said, the owner of that said, I would be so much more interested writing a book, not about leadership, but about a title that was something like the care and feeding of racehorses, that they wanted the book to be really niche, really specific, so that you're not trying to cover too much. What's your thought on that? One, do you agree that niche is better? And two, how do you find your niche message in a space that might be inundated with so many different books? This is such a brilliant question. So niching 100%, 100%, because if we go, go much further down the road and think about how books become bestsellers, it's the books that are within very specific niches that are ones that are able to get to bestseller status because they are categorized in very specific intentional ways to reach those people. So that's, you know, further down the road, like, yay, my book's a bestseller. But niching is so important because it just thinking about business in general, right? Like if you're like, you're not just going to go out and say, I'm a leadership coach for anybody and everybody. 
people are going to be attracted to you when you're really specific about being a leadership coach for maybe people who have equestrian practices. Who knows? Maybe that's a thing. I have no idea, but you, you brought up racehorses. There's yeah, right. something. So, right. you know, the more niche and narrow we can be, the more powerful it can be because there's always going to be that exception. So I personally wrote, I've written six books. Four of them were on a nonfiction, nonfiction topics that were around a consulting business I had. I was so narrow to say that it was this topic for fortune companies that were financial services and insurance. Like I was real narrow. It, hmm. it did not matter because people still outside of those industries of financial service and insurance still came to me to want me to apply my solutions in those verticals to their vertical. So okay. I think that's a fear we all have. We all have this fear that if we go really niche and narrow, we're going to alienate the potential opportunities in wider ways. But really, if you're really good in a really niche way, people are still going to want you to work with them. And then they then they feel special because you're saying, well, I typically only do financial services and insurance, but you know, I am willing to, to move into this travel space instead or the CPG space instead. And then they're like, oh, wow, I'm getting this consultant who's making an exception for me. And then they feel really special as a client. So there's that kind of piece to it. And then the second thing that you were asking was around kind of like, how do you come up with, right? You were asking, how do you know what your niche message is? Yes, yes. It's evaluating the data points that you have within your business already. So if you are working, like I would, you know, very fundamental, I would start with, if you don't have your demographic and psychographic data of who you're serving narrowed down in some way, that's where I would start. I would send a survey to my client base and say, you know, and get their data, get, get kind of information from them that you might not have learned in the process of working with them and see what are the commonalities. Just kind of look to see what industries am I serving over and over again? What what roles within organizations am I serving over and over again? And then the added layer is what is my unique angle? What's my differentiator? Why, you know, like what is your, your consulting or your thought leadership? So again, I, I say consultants, I'm saying that kind of like as a broad term to, or yeah. in thought leadership, I, it applies in a lot of other ways, but really kind of thinking through what that is. And we have those data points, whether they're captured or not in our business is another story, but we kind of have them anecdotally in our head. And what's beautiful about going through the process of actually creating a book is that it forces you to have to create a model, a process, a system, something to bring the reader through. Because you can't just throw your thoughts into a book, call it a day and hope for the best. You have to yes. really strategically think about how you're teaching your concept to a general reader without having the, the benefit of knowledge of who's actually reading the book. And so that's where I see the niche refinement of what that message is kind of happen is just organically through that process. All right. So the demographic psychographic information would be great, as you said, for being able to determine what your niche message is. I think you're also said something about that, even though you might have a niche book, others who may not be in your vertical might still want to work with you because there's some themes that might be transferable. Absolutely. Okay, I think that's great. And so I'm, I'm I'm going back and forth between thinking about myself and then thinking about the listeners who might be on this particular podcast episode. So, all right. So, what's the process? How do you do this? I'm uh, I'm a potential client of yours, and I I know there's something in me. How do I engage you or somebody else like you to get me to the point of understanding the niche market, getting that clarity? writing the book, and eventually even publishing it. How do we do this? 
there's a lot of steps, but they don't have to be complicated. So I, I so here's what I've found about the publishing industry. There are experts in every direction, and we'll, we'll put experts in quotes because sometimes they're not actually, that will tell you all sorts of information to intentionally confuse you to make it way more complicated than it actually is. It hmm. really does not have to be a complicated process, I promise, both the writing side and the publishing side. But this industry is just atrocious when it comes to trying to instill fear in first-time authors because then you're kind of beholden or trapped to their ways of doing something, not necessarily what's in your best interest. Mm-hmm. I could, I, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it there and not go down a whole, a whole rabbit hole because it's something that I'm very <laughs> passionate about. Okay. But when we think about the process, so again, if you have a business that's tied to this, there's certainly, it's going to be a little bit easier to figure these things out. But it's starting with the who. Who is your end reader? Because so often people start writing a book and they don't really think about who they're writing it for. You, you would think that that would be a really obvious thing to make sure you had clarity on that. But it's, it's overwhelmingly people lacking that clarity. So they're kind of writing for a, a, a slightly larger audience than they should be. And where that starts to fall apart is that when you're sharing stories or examples, you're watering them down because you're, you're painting this broad stroke because you're trying to write for everybody. But if you have a really clear picture of I'm writing for executives that are in a CPG space who've been in their, you know, been in the career or industry for 15 years who have this specific problem, when you're writing your book and you're sharing stories and sharing examples, you're going to be writing with that specific person in mind. Okay, let me stop you for a second. This is good. And I want to make sure that I don't lose this. So I want, and then maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but it's, I think, at least from my mind, I need some clarity on this. You said, start off with the who, mm-hmm. and then what problem are you solving? Where my mind goes, and, and challenge me if I'm wrong on this, Jen, I was going to go, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? And then for whom would that problem most attack itself to? You know, what does it, am I being too microscopic in this that, who versus problem comes first or problem and then who is it assigned to comes first? What do you think? You could do it either way. I think you could probably approach it either way. I think, I think a lot of people inherently already know the problem that they're solving for because they're writing a book that's tied to what they do. So if you're, you already kind of know what the problem is. So a lot of times understanding the who you're writing for makes some of the some of the other pieces come together. But if you don't have that clarity of what the problem you're solving for, absolutely, I would definitely start with that first. But I find that most people have a general idea of what that problem is ahead of time. But isn't the problem, in a sense, the arrow that directs us to the niche market? You know, they could say, well, I'm trying to, let's just make this really ridiculously um, (laughs) illustrated, right? Well, the problem we're trying to solve is I'm trying to help people become better leaders. That's too broad. And that's everybody on the planet. But if I'm trying to get really specific around a particular problem, that would then inform my niche market. Would it not? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I really just think it's a it's a, a matter of where where you are in the evolution of what you do that will dictate which comes first. Okay, very fine. Okay. Sorry for interrupting. I just needed to kind of get some clarity about that front end. So now that we've sort of got the demographics, the psychographics, we've figured out who we are working, our, our, our reader is, if you will, and, and what problem we're trying to solve, then what happens? You got to get writing. So there's that. Oh, okay. So, okay. <laughs> you know, like somehow it has to get written. So, yeah. you know, some folks do 
really well, independently kind of just saying, all right, I, I know what I want to do. The challenge with the actual getting it done is that it's the whole, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? How do you write a book one word at a time? So what people tend to struggle with quite a bit is then saying, all right, my problem is this big problem. How do I break it down into some kind of component parts that can then inform what a table of contents would look like? So what I typically tell people to do is mind map. So, you know, it's, you can just go to Google, go to YouTube, type in, how do I mind map? Because when we mind map, we're thinking so much more clearly. And so for those that aren't fully familiar with a mind map, it's really just grabbing a piece of paper, grabbing one of those big post-it whiteboards and just putting your central idea in the middle and then branching off in kind of like a spider web fashion, all of the other ideas that come out of that central idea. And they oftentimes look like absolute train wreck disasters. They're, they're nonsensical. You can't really make any sense out of them, but you can you find a feeling of completion because you've thrown all of the ideas that you think relate to this book on paper. So that's kind of like step one. Okay. Once you've exhausted all of those ideas and it's, you know, you have the big idea in the middle, but then you have a smaller idea beneath it. But under that smaller idea, there might be 15 sub ideas. And so it really, it can expand into something quite chaotic. But as long as there are ideas that you're coming up with, you're going to be able to make sense of it. And so the next kind of phase of that is taking that mind map and putting it into a bullet pointed list. And you're just reorganizing all of those things. So eventually, every one of those things that you've written down on that paper, the board, wherever you wrote it, all will go into some bullet pointed list that is much, much more organized and concrete, which then becomes an outline for Mm. your book to start to write from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. And so before you get to the next step here, though, some people are going to say, I have the time, I have the interest to do this. And others would say, I'm just too busy. Could I do it? Could I have a ghostwriter? Could I hire somebody to interview me and help me get to this process like you just described, mind mapping and bulleting and so forth? Is that part of it another way to do this? Absolutely. Yeah. So it really, you know, it's that old adage of like, do you have more time or do you have more money? So for those that just are (laughs) lacking the time, right, there's always people that you can pay to help you do this. One of the things that I encourage people to do if they're kind of like in that middle ground where they're like, okay, I have some skills of writing, but I need some more support. One of the the strategies that we employ with writers on a, a regular basis, we're meeting with somebody this morning, actually, is have two different types of people interview you to help you get your story out. So this could work for if you're Mm. writing an entire chapter, it can work if you're writing a blog post, it can work if you're writing a white paper or some kind of use case. Think about a story that you might want to share, whether, you know, whether it's a personal story, business story, whatever it might be. If you can find somebody in your life who either experienced that story with you, knows you well enough to know when you're holding back. What you can do is just say, hey, I need you to interview me about this worst case, you know, this wor- this horrible client we had a number of years ago. I want to use this as a case study. Can we sit down and can you, can you just ask me pointed questions? What that person will do for you is they know the nuance of what occurred. So they're going to ask you questions that, you, that will produce details that you might have forgotten about. 
and be mm. able to help you probe deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of why you're sharing the story to begin with, the heart of the, of the problem. On the other side, if you have somebody that you just met, so like you and I could have this conversation where you could say, you know what, I had this really horror story client from five years ago. I want to make sure that it's included in the book, but I don't know where to start. I could be asking you questions because we don't, you know, we just met. So I'm going to ask you questions because my frame of reference to the problem in the, in the experience that you're talking about is going to be wildly different than somebody who was there and knew it. And so the, if you blend the combination of the questions I'm asking as the layperson who has no idea what you're doing and the person who is with you and just your own experiences, the blending of those two things together is a magical crux. So just to get it. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people about this. This is the first time I've ever heard that idea. I like that a lot. So could that be a process for not just a particular chapter or case study that you're mentioning within a larger book, but could that also be something that you might deploy for the entire book? Meaning that if you were not going to write it yourself, you're going to have somebody else help you, or the interviews will help you write the book if you're going to write it, that you might still have two people doing the interviewing, whether it's a small case study or the entire content of the book. Are you suggesting either? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it works on a micro level and a macro level. Yeah, we work with a lot of authors like this, and it tends to be folks who are executives in some company or they're, you know, they're thought leaders in their own right, and they need that added support. And what I find personally as a thought leader in in my space, I need to verbally process things with people to like really get to the meat of what message I'm trying to share sometimes. And so I find that to be the case with a lot of thought leaders where it's just like, you know what you know, but you just need somebody else who's like an intellectual match to challenge you on what you know and to help really bring out the best in whatever that thing is. And so that's where you kind of get the benefit of having a writing coach. If you like, if I even think writing coach kind of waters down the value of it because it's much more of like a thought partner in the process. Right. And that thought partner could be, again, a neutral individual who are in a sense be interviewing you and you still might have another person who knows you really well who could ask them more probing questions. Absolutely. Or a paid professional, whatever, whatever path you want to go down. There's a lot of opportunity. All right. So then that on that particular pathway, this is not the one that I would be writing my own book. I'm actually getting some help from somebody else. Then we would have transcripts and we would have the interview transcripts being developed. And then I guess that could start being shaped into that outline that we talked about earlier. And hence, now we're getting closer to the finished product. Yeah. Transcripts are great because what that affords for is not having to start with a blank page. That's where most people get really hung up is sitting and staring at a blank cursor in a Word document or a Google Doc. That stresses people out. So when you have a transcript, you're kind of working from something. Even if it's a disaster, it's not, you know, we know how transcripts are. They're not always great. Yeah. Yeah. At least you're not starting from square one. Great point. Like what you're saying here. Okay. So I got a couple other things I want to ask you about. Before I get into the publishing side, what's your thoughts on co-authoring? Like, say, there's a person that has a very similar space. You want to work together with them on this. You're, you're different enough, but you have your own little roles to play. Do you recommend that? And if so, how can a co-authored book best work? That process to get into the final product. I think co-authored, co-authored books are great. Where they cannot be so great is when there's a mismatch of expectations between the mm-hmm. co-authors. 
So if you are co-authoring something with someone that you have an existing relationship, like a good working relationship that you know of, it's going to be really seamless. We have a, at least, I want to say six different co-authored books that we're currently helping writer, like helping them get written. Hmm. The ones that are doing really well are the people that are, they're connected. They, they have synergy together. They work together. They know each other's working styles. Yeah. So they can, they can come up with plans that kind of capture and, and work around specific working styles. We have a situation where authors, they don't seem to know each other that well. That's where it gets dangerous because if you're not on the same page with who's doing what and how it's being done, there's a miscommunication and things can kind of, the, the whole project can kind of go off the rails really quickly. So I, I think they're great. And I, from a marketing standpoint, you're splitting the cost. You're both marketing the same thing. You're both, you're kind of getting double exposure almost because you're getting exposure in front of your co-authors audience as well as your own. So there, I think there's way more pros than there are cons. It's just a matter of making sure that you're really aligned and you want to kind of be, you know, cause you're going to be with this person for the long haul because right. books are forever for the most part. <laughs> That's a good way of putting that. So, so long as we've got clarity about the expectations and we know each other well enough to work well together, that this could be a powerful combination. Absolutely. All right. Here's another question. I was talking to another person about publishing at one point, and, and he broke it down into three buckets on the publishing side, now that you got the thing done. And tell me if this is true and what you recommend. So one is you're going after and you're focusing on going to one of the big houses, one of the big publishing companies, which is tough because they get thousands of different manuscripts and they reject almost all of them. You might have some poor you know, NYU grad student reading through all these manuscripts at $20 an hour, and then they're chucking most of it, right? Maybe once in a while, it's it's the roll of the dice. You know, it's like I got discovered by Hollywood. Yay. You know, it's that kind of thing. The totally. other one was on the other end of the spectrum is self-publishing. You know, you 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 write it, you publish it. You might be you, you throw it up on Amazon and you get a few things, but you're you're you you incur all the cost, you do all the all of that work, and but it's not. You know, it's not Simon and Schuster, right? It's not Riley. It's not any of these big companies. Yeah. And then the third one I heard at one point was sort of a, a broker, a person who will help you develop the concept and develop a almost like a position paper to be able to pitch to some of these larger companies and get you into that door. Is that, do I have this accurate? I don't know if it's correct. What's What am I missing and what do you recommend? So you're accurate on the traditional publishing side, 100%. I loved your description. Self-publishing okay. side, same thing. Okay. The broker side absolutely is a thing. So the challenge with the broker side is you're still going to run up against the same problems going the traditional route. Because when you go the traditional route, you need an agent. You know, they do not accept unsolicited manuscripts. Or if they do, they're just going into a junk pile somewhere. They call it a slush pile is where like everything goes to die essentially. So you can get a broker that can support you. It's not a guarantee it's actually going to help. Like you definitely are increasing your odds, of course, but it's not, it's not like a destined guaranteed path to your end goal of traditional publishing. Okay. There's a middle ground. And so the middle ground is called hybrid publishing. It was developed, I want to say like maybe 15 years ago or so. And it's the fastest, fastest growing sector of the publishing industry. No because kidding. Because what it is, it's a hybrid between traditional publishing and self-publishing. So you, and there's a lot of different business models under this umbrella. The way that okay. we work in particular is that we're, it's what I like to say is the best of both worlds, where you get the service, the expertise, 
the best practices, the industry standards, all of the things that you know that a New York publisher is going to provide as a traditional publisher. But from an expense standpoint, a control standpoint, a ability to make decisions and have influence over your own book as you do on a self-publishing side. Because what people don't realize is that when you go that, down the route of traditional publishing, many, many, many times you are giving away all of your control and all of your rights. So if the publisher decides this book is going to sell better if we change this, this, and this, but that doesn't align with your business model, you have zero say in this. Like you just have, like you signed a contract, they gave you money, and now you have to do what they tell you. And so that leaves a lot of friction, especially for thought leaders, consultants, coaches, people who are writing books tied to their businesses. When you give away that autonomy to the, to the publisher, what they're doing is trying to find a way to mass market this to their audience of readers who read books similar to yours. Right. That reader, that random general reader in wherever they may be, is not going to be the same reader you would write for if you were writing it for your business. So a lot of editorial changes are made that make it more broad to apply to more people so they can sell more books, which may be taking you away from your goal of serving your audience and getting more business. So then I guess, Mike, so then are these are these companies in a sense set up as a hybrid, meaning they do the publishing as well as giving the autonomy and working with the, the author the way self-publishing would. I mean, are you that? Are you a hybrid publisher? Is that what we you are? are? We are. Yeah. And so there's um, an independent, it's called the Independent Book Publishers Association. And hmm. they are the, they're kind of the, the, the starting point and the origin for developing criteria for what you have to meet in order to call yourself a hybrid publisher. Because there's a lot of publishers that are referred to as vanity presses. And what a vanity press is, is that when you go to, you submit your manuscript. In our case, we have exceptionally high editorial standards. We are, I'm not putting our company name or my personal name near anything that is not well-written in good quality. Just because we want it to be good quality does not mean you have to be a good writer because through a good editorial process, everything is elevated, right? So whatever you do, we're going to make better. There are many that are called vanity presses where they literally will take your manuscript and they will run spell check through it or grammar check, and then they will produce it. Without oh, having like actual editor eyes on it. Oh, wow. Which is why so many books that come out are absolutely atrocious is because there's a lot of companies. But what the problem is, is that you don't know that at the start. Like that's, that's where this all breaks down and why this industry is so terrible in a lot of ways is that you as a first time author would have no idea. Like you're like, oh, wow, they've produced thousands of books. Like this has got to be great. It's only going to cost me $500. What, what's there to lose? There's a lot right. to lose. Your reputation is what, what there is to lose. So it's a matter, like I tell people to do their due diligence, right? You know, see what other books have been published. Go, you know, buy a few of them, read them, see how they're laid out, see how they look, see, mm. just kind of like really evaluate or go to Google, type in that name, whatever company you're evaluating and put scam after it. Because there's a lot of class action lawsuits in this industry. Scam? Uh-huh. Yep. Really? So you would do that, you would have the name of the publishing company with mm -hmm. scam at the end of it and see what comes up. Oh, yeah. There, it, it, it will yield a lot. If they're a bad company, it'll be all over the place. Fantastic. That's great yeah. advice. Really yeah. good. And so it sounds like your business is based on this hybrid model that you just described, mm -hmm. right? And so, so then you're actually the publisher. I mean, you are printing paper, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of what you do. Okay. Understood. 
And and your your company is called Publish for Purpose. Yes. Right. Yep. And so that's the publishing name of the company. It is. Yes. Got it. All right. Understood. And then do you then work with clients? <laughs> this is really just a like great promotion or interview for you. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, Jen, this is like, <laughs> but it's just like, I'm curious. I really, this yeah. is like, I'm seriously curious about this. So then do you also work with helping that book once it's published to get it out to, you know, the masses, whether it be, you know, something on Amazon or what have you? Yeah, our specific angle is around the business strategy and the marketing strategy of a book. Because again, not all publishers are created equal. Some have some have no marketing experience. Some have a lot of marketing experience. Some are really good with design. Some are not so good with design. So there's kind of all of these different variables. So again, do your homework. But our sweet spot is really the business strategy because it makes no sense mm-hmm. for you to write a book that is not strategically aligned to what you do. So... Right. It needs to engage your reader to the degree that the reader leaves the book and enters your sales or marketing funnel. And that is ultimately our end goal. And there are very subtle, beautiful ways to execute that throughout a book that don't feel gross to a reader. Because you don't like the last thing you want to do is be salesy in a book because then your reader's gone and there's they're not coming back. Like the second right. you hit that wrong tone, they're out. So right. our focus is how do we help you structure what your back end needs to look like from a marketing standpoint. Do you have landing pages? Do you have autoresponder email sequences? What's your social media look like? Are you like all of those things we start to kind of help unearth to figure out now we know what your assets are from a marketing standpoint. What are your goals with this book? And how do we make sure that every part of the book from the editing to the to the final categories that the book's placed in aligns specifically with what your goal is? Right. So that's why there has to be, you know, there's a lot of companies that will produce a gorgeous book. It'll be well-written and it'll look amazing. It'll look beautiful. But, you know, how many times have you, you know, read a book and you're really inspired by what the person wrote, you flip it over and you're like, I don't even know what this person's company name is. I don't, there's no contact information. There's no website. There's like, hmm. and what happens is that the reader, and I say this with love, readers are lazy. We're busy people. We're not going to be like, oh my God, Dean, you were so, like, this book was so damn good. And they go to flip to an about the author that doesn't exist. There's no way to contact you. They're not likely not going to take that next step to go Google your name and find your website, contact you that way. And so it's just little things like that that are such missed opportunities. And And it has to be aligned because you're writing the book for a bigger reason. You're not just doing it for book sales. You're doing it most likely for new business. All right. So. What's the timing on this? I mean, if you were, if somebody's to say, I want to start this process, I don't yet have the niche market. I don't know the problem yet. I'm trying to solve it somewhere in this big, huge nugget of mine, but I got to get it pulled out. I don't know the demographics yet, but you know, I need that help. I need to help maybe, you know, somebody to do some, with some interviewing, some helping me with developing that whole mind mapping eventually to an outline. And then the actual writing, which might be me, might be somebody else or a combination of thereof. And then getting the damn thing <laughs> into paper. How long does that take? There's a, there's a number of variables with this, but what what I have experienced is that if you can block out a good six months for the writing of it, uh-huh. that is a good sweet spot for a lot of people. It's kind of like where the majority okay. of people can fit in is six months. There okay. are countless programs that are like write a book in a weekend, write a book in thirty days, write a book uh-huh. in ninety days. If you if that is what your personality wants to go like on a retreat and write a book and we go for it. 
that's just the writing. That doesn't include the editing that can be months long. So, you know, it depends on kind of what you're looking for. So we have a group program, for example, that walks people through a six month process because we know that we can get results in six months. Sometimes people get to that six month mark and they're like almost there, but not quite. But generally six months seems to be like a good, happy place. That's all dictated by you though. I cannot... Right, of course. We, not. I right. can't force you to write. And that's where that part right. of the business is a little bit more tricky because we can force you to get it published, but we can't force you, you know, like if you're on a, a publishing timeline with us, we're going to make it happen on whatever day we agree to. But on a writing thing, like we can't make you write any more than you're willing or able to actually write. Right. So that's kind of on the writing side. But then the publishing side, typically we're about six to eight months from the, the time we get the manuscript in which is, you know, can be any, any condition. Sometimes they're really rough. Sometimes they're in great shape. So the better you are at writing from the start and the more clear and cohesive you are, which is why getting support before you submit a manuscript is helpful, the better it's going to be because it's going to be faster. Because the more clear you are, the less editing is going to be involved. The less big picture editing is going to be involved. So you're saying that six to eight months is actually a portion of that is for editing? Oh, yeah. Yep. It takes that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good really? book. Yes, a good book. Okay. This is this okay. is the key. There's a lot of real crap books out there that you can do in three months. Have fun. Like, go for it. Yeah. But yeah. your brand is going to absolutely be impacted. The second reader spots a typo. Do you think they're coming to you for consulting if they're Hell like this no. person couldn't even edit the book? Right. Or if you decide that you're gonna gonna design your own cover and have no graphic design skills? Like, right. There's a lot of strategy that goes into the typography of a book cover or the imagery of a book cover. And so it's the inexperienced that are just trying to rush it out the door that inevitably end up like kind of crawling back with their you know tail between their legs saying like, I really, I really messed this up. Because the last hmm. thing you want to hear, and I've, I heard this from somebody, I thought it was so well said, was her book is not as good as she is. That's never, Ooh, that's that never where you, good. right? <laughs> you never want to be in that. And that's where that's kind of creating right guidance. Yeah. Yeah. Say that the other way is your book needs to be as good as you are. Yeah, it need, it needs to be better than you, which is yeah. great. And that's the beauty of a good book that's well marketed is that it that's can great. blow smoke and mirrors all over the place. And it could be, you know, you could be a mess on the back end as a as a consultant, but your book might tell a very different story. And what's great about the writing of the book is that it helps you really conceptualize in more detail how you operate. So a lot of times authors see a an improvement in their efficiencies within their business, or they're able to kind of because they've, you know, you may as well use it in all the different ways that you can use it, like repurpose what you've done. There's so many different ways you can kind of repurpose things. Well, yeah, I think what you're saying is that there's a there's a kind of a byproduct or an unintended outcome, which is the the self-awareness that comes, the clarity that comes, the potential improvement and transformation that can come from just going through this process. Mm-hmm. Not just developing yeah. a book, but now all of a sudden you've got focus, whereas before you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where people find it to be painful too. I'm not going to lie. The editing process can be, it can be brutal, but there's a bigger end goal at the end of it that makes that brutality worth it. You're right. Right. Exactly. But Jen, this has been really fascinating. I've learned a lot. I've taken some notes here. Tell us a little bit more about how people can connect with you. Where are you located on the net? All those sort of things and a little bit about this program you just referenced. Yeah, so we are at publishyourpurpose.com. So we can be found there. On most social media sites, we're at Publish Your Purpose. Some of them, it's just Publish Purpose. So 
we're available all over the place for the most part. I would go to our website. That's definitely the one that's the, the most helpful. And our focus in many ways is on educating first-time authors. So we have a couple of guides that are, you know, like what's, you know, it's called the book cost blueprint right now. You can get it at bookcostblueprint.com. Like it has hmm. a lot of, it, it goes into deep detail on what should you be paying for the totality of your book but also within individual line items. So what should a cover cost? What should editing cost? What, what are those unexpected expenses? Where, you know, where might you want to be looking? So you know, we have a resource like that. And then we have another one that's called the nine questions you should ask your prospective publisher. And that mm. is nine really solid questions that I tell people, because obviously I'm being compared. I, I feel like my business is a commodity like many others. Sure. I'm being compared against other publishers. I want them to have that guide in front of them to be able to ask those really tough questions. That one's that's publisherquestions.com too. But you know, it's it's those types of things that you can find on our website as resources that are, you know, whether someone works with my company or not, I just want to make sure that they don't have a bad experience and get taken advantage of. You know, I know that that's not how we operate, but you know, people need to go out and explore. I just want to make sure that first-time authors are protected because in many ways, this industry is designed in opposition of first-time authors. Great. Wonderful. Really good. Really good. Yeah. But Jen, thank you so much for being a guest. This has been really fascinating. I just um, got, again, about two or three pages of notes. And um, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that we're going to stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. You bet. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.